Well, congratulations on your pregnancy. Well, now that you're pregnant, don't forget to take your iron tablet at least once a day, preferably two, or sometimes even three times a day. Do y'all remember that recommendation? Because I do. That's how I trained. These poor women came back, of course, with constipation, perpetual nausea, this terrible burp back sensation all the time from their iron load. And to make matters worse, their iron wasn't getting any better. We've learned a lot about iron deficiency anemia in pregnancy. It's not just about a number, but it's actually linked to some real adverse perinatal outcomes. And it can even affect the child's neurodevelopmental status. Iron deficiency in pregnancy is also linked to some bizarre conditions like restless leg syndrome, and we covered that in another podcast. So I thought it'd be interesting in this session to remind ourselves of the importance of iron supplementation in pregnancy, but the old traditional way that we told patients to take it is actually incorrect. So do you know the right way to take iron supplements in pregnancy? Well, let's cover that in this topic now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practices because medicine moves fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Iron requirements dramatically increase in pregnancy to accommodate an expanding red cell volume, the growing fetus, and the placenta, plus any anticipated or unanticipated blood loss at time of birth, especially with operative delivery. Scholl was the first to report that iron requirements in pregnancy may exceed 1,000 milligrams with 500 milligrams required for red blood cell expansion and 300 to 350 milligrams for the developing fetus and the placenta with variable losses at delivery. The Centers for Disease Control defines anemia as a hemoglobin less than 11 grams per deciliter during the first and third trimesters and less than 10.5 grams per deciliter in the second. Even in the absence of anemia, iron deficiency is considered present when transferrin saturations of less than 20% and or ferritin less than 30 nanograms per ml exist. Again, iron deficiency is either by the hemoglobin value or a transferrin saturation less than 20% or serum ferritin is less than 30. Iron deficiency may be suspected with or without anemia when specific symptoms like pagophagia, that's ice craving, or other forms of pica or restless leg syndrome are present. Now remember, it's not just about these lab numbers, but there's real perinatal issues associated with iron deficiency in pregnancy. There's ample evidence that indicate that iron deficiency in mothers and infants cause significant morbidity. Animal models provide convincing evidence that the absence of iron during critical windows of brain development result in alterations in brain metabolism, neurotransmission, epigenetic changes, and myelination disorders that persist throughout fetal development. Fetal, neonatal, and childhood brain growth and development require iron, with deficiencies resulting in adverse effects on myelation, neurotransmitter synthesis, and even brain programming. Published evidence reports that when iron is severely limited in the neonate, the available iron is shunted preferentially to red blood cells at the expense of brain, heart, and muscle cells. 
low maternal serum ferritin concentrations are associated with iron deficiency in neonates, which has been associated with a statistically significant increase in both cognitive and behavioral abnormalities that is long-lasting, and this can be detectable up to 19 years of age. There is strong evidence that in the 6-24 to month old infants where iron deficiency anemia may exist, there is increased risk for poor cognitive, motor, social, and even emotional development. In addition to direct effects on the brain development, iron deficient mothers experience a twofold increased incidence of preterm birth and a threefold increase in low birth weight and small for gestational age infants, all of which are associated with poor neurodevelopmental outcomes. So, once again, maternal iron deficiency anemia is a real problem. It's not just a lab number, but this is linked to real adverse maternal and neonatal effects. Traditionally, oral iron was recommended daily or at times even multiple times per day. I mean, after all, more is better, right? Well, actually, that's totally incorrect. More is not better in terms of iron supplementation. Let's talk about why next. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Oral iron remains the frontline therapy for both the prevention and the treatment of iron deficiency, anemia, and pregnancy. When effective and well-tolerated, it's an inexpensive and convenient form of therapy. However, GI side effects are common and non-adherence is high. Oral iron exacerbates constipation, which is common during pregnancy, due to high progesterone levels, which slows bowel transport and the enlarging uterus pressing posteriorly on the rectum. In the third trimester, absorption of iron actually decreases, resulting in poor efficacy of oral-based therapy. Now, here's the kicker regarding dosage and schemes of administration. Recent evidence reports that oral iron ingestion raises serum hepcidin levels. This actually decreases overall absorption of iron and utilization. In other words, the more iron you take daily, the more hepcidin rises and the less you actually absorb into your system. Supporting this contention is a prospective study showing increased absorption of radio-labeled ferrous sulfate with alternative day compared to daily or twice-daily ingestion. So less is actually more. It's recommended to take oral supplementation, not daily, but on alternative days to maximize oral administration and oral absorbance of the medication. Also, it's important to tell patients the best way to take iron. Typically, it's best to take the supplement on an empty stomach and with water around one to two hours before a meal. The body can absorb iron more easily when it has enough vitamin C, so some advocate taking the vitamin with vitamin C, like orange juice, because that can help its absorption in an acidic environment. Now, for those in whom oral iron is not feasible or is well tolerated, there's IV iron. Intravenous iron has been shown to be uniformly safe and effective, yet guidelines vary greatly about its use. 
Initial fears and concerns were raised due to rare systemic reactions with IV iron. However, those earlier formulations are no longer clinically used, and multiple studies have proven that the overall tolerability of IV iron is actually very high. If desired, pre-medication with an antihistamine like Benadryl or one gram of Tylenol or both, which is what I do, can be done before the test dose is done. And then if it's well tolerated, then you can continue with the full dose of iron replacement IV. Now, believe it or not, during the 90s, there are some publications about I am iron. I mean, how easy would that be, right? You don't need to be hooked up to an IV and just give iron through an IM injection. Well, please don't do that. Intramuscular iron should be avoided because it's painful. It requires multiple injections. And where it was typically given, which is the buttocks, it could actually cause staining of the buttocks. It's also associated with some gluteal sarcomas. So do not use I am iron replacement. All right, podcast family, as we wrap this up, so what do the experts say? Well, experts recommend consideration given to intravenous iron for women with severe iron deficiency anemia, defined as a hemoglobin less than 8, or any newly diagnosed anemia beyond 34 weeks of gestation. Remember that in the late third trimester, oral absorption actually decreases, and we really want to get them ready for delivery. So especially if it's found after 34 weeks, consider IV iron use. Also, consider IV iron for women with confirmed iron deficiency anemia who fail to respond to or are intolerant of oral iron. All right, podcast family, that's nice and short and sweet. The main goal of doing this session was to remind everybody that iron deficiency anemia, which we kind of take for granted because we see it so frequently in pregnancy, is actually a bad thing. It's linked to adverse maternal and adverse neurodevelopmental outcomes in children. So remember, take it seriously. Remind patients not to take it every day, but on alternative days and in those that are intolerant to oral iron, then consider IV iron use. Well, as always, thank you for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.